Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021. Today, we are joined by clinical and forensic neuropsychologist and author, Dr. Judy Ho. Hi, Judy. Welcome back. Hi, Anna. It's always great to be here with you. Oh, we're always so thrilled to have you here. You are one of our favorites, of course. We say that to everybody, but (laughs) we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you really are one of our favorites. And these two cases actually, Judy, are... Are, are the kind of cases where we need your level of expertise. We always try when you're coming on to make sure that we maximize your expertise. And so we're putting you to work today. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Okay, here are the cases this week. A nurse in Texas is convicted of killing patients by injecting air into their arteries right after heart surgery. The nurse's attorney says that the hospital's the one that had issues and that the hospital is making the nurse a scapegoat. So of course the question is, which is very jarring to the rest of us, how could a caregiver ever turn around and then be accused as the one trying to injure and kill people? It's it's very jarring. And the nurse is now facing the death penalty. But first, a social media star is accused of shooting and killing a friend during a drunken night in Houston. But her arrest was somehow kept from the public for months. I don't know how you can live your life so publicly and yet have this case be buried. This to me is the most fascinating and suspicious part of this, although there are many suspicious things here. Okay, so Dr. Judy, let's set up what the crime is and how it's described by Texas authorities, and then you can jump in with your expertise. So they say that on January 17th of this year, there was a shooting in the Houston home of a TikTok star known for cosplay videos, cosplay being um, short for costume play. Mm -hmm. And I guess, Judy, people dress up as characters, often from the world of animation, comics, um, sci-fi, many reenact scenes, or they create environments in which they play that character. It's a huge interactive community. Do do you think that's a a good description of cosplay? Yeah, you know, I was actually a huge fan of cosplay, especially during grad school, because I am a video gamer. And 
I love cartoons and anime. And those were some of the costumes that we dressed up in when I was younger with my friends. And I've actually even been to conferences and events where basically there's a huge amount of cosplay, uh, I guess, fans or the cosplay community being present at those. For example, Comic-Con, it was in San Diego many, many years. And that's where, where I went to my doctoral program. And a lot of my friends and I would go to these conferences. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my God, the secret life of Dr. Judy yeah. Ho. I love it. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. Like people are like, wait a minute. That's, you like video games? I've been playing video games since I was five years old. So I grew up on stuff like Street Fighter, Tekken, uh, Mortal Kombat, you know, and things like that. And there were always big appearances at these cosplay conferences. Oh my God, you really are the perfect person for this case beyond anything I ever expected. It's like a bonus today, a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's talk about the crime and the people involved here. This TikToker went by several names and several handles. Marianne Oliver Snow is 23 years old and goes by and uses the they, them pronouns. Snow went by Yandere Freak, that was one of the names, and also by the name of Snow the Salt Queen. So we're just going to refer to this individual as Snow. it's I think it's just going to make it easier for all of us to follow. Snow has 1.6 million followers on TikTok, which is a lot. Uh, Snow is considered a celebrity, especially in the Houston area where Snow recorded videos and um, has a reputation for using real weapons and knives and swords in some of the videos. So apparently Snow and five friends were at Snow's house they admitted that they were drinking, smoking pot, watching TV, and they all started playing out some scenes. Snow allegedly picked up a gun. Snow said that it had been left behind by Snow's boyfriend. And so there's something going on. They're playing, they're doing this thing. And then Snow points the gun at the head of one of Snow's friends pulls the trigger, killing 19-year-old Helen Hastings, who was a student at Oberlin College. Hmm. So I, I part of the mystery here is, well, first of all, this is a loaded gun, and, and, and we see this play out an awful lot where people play with loaded guns, and this is the absolute worst thing that can happen. So hmm. that's part of it. You know, we, we see this level of violence. Then the next thing is, because of the criticisms that Snow used real weapons sometimes in Snow's videos, so was this really an accident mm -hmm. in that sense? Um, do you get a pass because you're drunk and playing games? I don't, it's a horrific tragedy. Yeah, and I think that this is the unfortunate part of the story as there are so many unfortunate parts of the story, but it's, it may have been an accident the night that this happened, but at the same time, if this was like a routine way that they thought would be a way to get their yayas have fun, um, essentially almost kind of, you know, move that dopamine receptor where they're kind of in this excitement phase, getting into fight or flight all for the heck of it. At some point, an accident like this was going to happen. Right. I mean, if you're loading and unloading guns and you're mixing alcohol and drugs with that and your judgment's impaired and there's impulse control issues that come with alcohol and drug use, 
this was going to happen. This was an accident waiting to happen, Anna. No good could come of it. You know, really no good could come of it. So according to the Harris County Sheriff's Office, at some point, they were all watching the Batman TV show called Gotham. And Snow said, hey, I've got a gun like the one that the Penguin character is using. So then Snow brought out a Glock handgun and claimed that the gun was not loaded. Uh, They were messing around for hours, they told police, with the gun. So it's a miracle that nobody was injured prior to that. If this is true, if this is a true version of events, because part of the problem is um, some of the witnesses are claiming, including Snow, that they really don't remember because they were impaired, which is both convenient and maybe also true. I do not know. Okay, so then um, when Snow points the gun, Snow tells police that it was Helen who asked that she put the gun to her head and be shot like the like the show so that they were watching. Um, I don't know if that's true. Um, but the sad thing is that Helen was shot in the head, is sent to the hospital immediately via ambulance, is put on life support, and then dies about two days later. It's a horrific, horrific tragedy. Here's where... You know how I say, I don't understand how this happens in January and we only find out about it in September and now everyone's talking about it in October. Here's the part that that gets me. Okay, so Helen, this young woman with the rest of her life ahead of her, the, the college, Oberlin College, sends an email and notifies all the students that she has passed. But the university doesn't say how she's died. So many of her friends... And, and just, you know, fellow classmates believe that she's killed herself. And so that's kind of the narrative that many are operating under. Then what we don't know is that apparently Snow is indicted on second degree felony manslaughter charges in April. So this happens in January. Mm -hmm. Someone dies during, you know, this playing around and it's nowhere on social media. Like, how is that possible? Right. How is it kept such a secret? It's amazing, especially because, as you mentioned, Anna, she has 1.6 million followers. And Snow was very active on social media. This was not somebody who only posted once every week or two weeks. Snow was always on social media and continuing to pose in her uh, in their cosplay costumes and essentially um still reenacting some of these seemingly dangerous acts on social media all across this time yeah there was a lot of criticism that especially once this news came out that snow had done um some videos where there were what appeared to be like you know, fake blood stains behind her and there was some violence. And you're like, how in the world can you do that if if you are the one who allegedly pulled the trigger and led to someone's death and you've now been charged with this? Yeah. So that's something that is perplexing here. So, um, you know, here's what also is interesting. So she is indicted, right? And so then um, in April, she's indicted and then she's free on bond, but there are conditions. She has curfews, excuse me, Snow has curfews and Snow has 
um, conditions about not only the time that Snow needs to be home, but also drug testing and a few other restrictions. Turns out that Snow reportedly violated those conditions by going to an anime convention in Houston in July. Mm. So apparently that's probably when things started to become maybe more public because now there are more and more court appearances and um, judgments against you. So the the whole social media part of this, the, the story explodes in September. And uh, again... I don't know how someone who lives a life so prominently can somehow skate under this. Could it be all the multiple names that maybe the reporters covering this have no idea that this person is such a TikToker and is such a celebrity? Is that a possibility? I mean, you know, possibly, although I would say that if I'm just putting my mind, my, uh, mindset in the mindset of Snow's attorneys. And I've seen in both criminal and civil cases where social media posts become evidence during trials. It's just so easy. And even if you go and delete them afterwards, somebody saved those posts, right? So at some point, I don't know when Snow started getting legal counsel, but probably the first thing the legal counsel should have told them is, stop posting all these things that make it seem like you're not taking this seriously, right? Even if Snow was never indicted, the fact that something that they did caused an accident that killed a person, a friend, a colleague, a peer, you probably shouldn't be posting things as if everything was completely normal, right? People usually would take a break from social media, actually. So I'm not really sure why news coverage never reached that level of of posting i mean again snow's posting was very prolific and Mm -hmm. the the type of things that snow was posting were incredibly sensational when you think about it along the backdrop of what was going on and snow's received a lot of criticism from the cosplay community and fans that are very upset about this because there has been a human life that has been lost in all of this and that's not really part of what this is. So it's it's not surprising. And maybe Snow realized that there would have been a lot of backlash. It's, it's really unclear. And I want to talk to you more about what's going on maybe in her in her mind. I, I do want to um, share a quote from Rolling Stone magazine. Snow's attorney said that his client was, quote, incredibly remorseful about what took place. The attorney claims that Snow's family members didn't even know about Helen's death or Snow's involvement until last month, until the story broke? How is that possible that no one knew this? Someone had to bail Snow out. This is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Right. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Police reports, interrogations, investigations, something, right? And Snow's family never heard about it? Right. I don't, I don't make any sense to me. No. In fact, because it doesn't make any sense, I always say this, then it's probably, I'm going to venture to say may not be true because it just is so illogical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the attorney also says this to Rolling Stone, the trauma led Snow to basically just shut down internally and not discuss this with anyone except the people they lived with. They didn't know how to deal with it. 
What we know for sure is if they did not receive any psychological help or counseling um, for this incident. So they, so the attorney doesn't believe that Snow's received any counseling, which again, I would say, are you crazy? You have to have some, this is a traumatic experience. So do you believe that this is what's happened? That, that Snow, who is the, um, who's accused here of manslaughter, doesn't remember anything, has shut down and like, what, what the heck's going on here? Well, trauma can lead to people reacting in a lot of different ways. And I know that maybe some people who are listening or watching right now are thinking, oh, Snow's the one who's traumatized? What about the person who died and their family? I get it. But at the same time, there was a big witness to a violence that none of them expected that night. And there is sometimes trauma related to being the person who witnesses any kind of violence, any kind of death, even if you were responsible for an accident or not. What doesn't make sense and what I'm fearful of is that I have not seen any providers come forward and say, I'm the one who's treating Snow or or, or Snow has permission, so Snow has given me permission to talk about this or even Snow saying it themselves that they were actually diagnosed with this dissociative identity disorder where there was a lot of different identities in play. I'm worried that if it is not a bona fide condition that Snow has, that this is gonna be part of their defense which is, well, one of my alter egos was the one that was there that night who shot Helen. And I, the main personality of Snow, has no idea about how or when that happened and didn't even know about it for weeks. I do want to ask you about this, this DID, dissociative identity disorder. There's a lot of talk, especially in the cost community, cosplay community, that um, some people get so involved in these characters to some degree that they, the, the role-playing goes beyond and, um, they actually assume that entire personality. Do you, can you elaborate on what any of this means? Absolutely. And this whole piece of this story, the dissociative identity disorder piece is, really, really fascinating because dissociative identity disorder has been named something else in the past that made it even more sensational. Years ago in the DSM, which is our diagnostic manual for psychologists and psychiatrists, it was called multiple personality disorder. Now think yes. a little bit about that and how sensational that sounds. And so they changed the name to dissociative identity disorder, but there is a long history of people feigning having multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder in order to escape all kinds of responsibilities. Um, and that really takes away from the true sufferers of this condition, which by the way, is extremely rare. It is probably under 1% of mm. people who truly suffer that in any 12 month period. And it's something that needs to be taken very seriously if the person truly suffers from it. But to your point, Anna, there's been more and more of a community, whether it's cosplay or you see this on TikTok, where there's a real blurring of who really has this disorder and who is just basically putting on a show. This is basically just them acting out different experiences and people. But then they're saying they have DID because it is sensational once again right now. 
uh, it was sensational in the 80s and apparently it's coming back. And there's a huge TikTok community of people right now who say they have dissociative identity disorder. But even if you just look at the percentages, the statistics, it doesn't make sense that all of them truly do. Right. And so what dissociative identity disorder is, is the existence of two or more distinct identities or personality states. And these identities are accompanied by changes in behavior, memory and thinking. And the signs and symptoms are observable by others or reported by the individual themselves. The individual experiences these gaps in memory about everyday events, personal information, past traumatic events. And basically, they don't have a continuity of their existence. They sometimes will feel like they blacked out. And then a day later, they'll come to and hear that one of their alters or personality states took over. And these symptoms tend to cause the individual a ton of distress and impacts their daily functioning in a very negative way. So that's one thing that I would really like to see as the story unfolds is Snow doesn't seem like they were that upset about all of this. They seem like they reveled in this experience. So if that's the case, they don't have dissociative identity disorder. People who truly have it, they hate the fact that they have this. They want it to be treated. They're not necessarily putting it on, putting on a show for everybody in the world to witness. That's fascinating. And also, I think a broader issue, which is not specific to this, but more to social media, is how some people get so wrapped up in this persona that they create for social media that gets attention and the necessity to feed that attention and get more followers. And you're looking who commented, who did this, who liked, um, that, that really can get out of hand, you know, when you're living yes. your life in this virtual way and, right. and then compounded. And one of the reasons that Helen was back in Houston is because of COVID and mm. she managed to get through a semester at school and then they shut down. I mean, this, this constant thing that we've all been dealing with and, and that kind of put her in this position besides the fact that Helen was friends with Snow. I, I, I want to take a little tangent, if I may, with you, because you were talking about the trauma of either experiencing this, being the person who pulled the trigger, or the person who was there. Uh, uh, you know, everyone is talking about actor Alec Baldwin and mm. the accident, the horrific fatal accident that occurred during a rehearsal for a movie in New Mexico where Alec Baldwin was handed a prop gun and fired and then accidentally shot and killed the cinematographer, shot the director in the shoulder. And as of this morning, the prosecutor in the case is saying that this is a criminal investigation and there mm -hmm. may be criminal charges, not suggesting that it's going to be Alec Baldwin, but that the case, the shooting, is being investigated. And the only reason I bring this up is because we have a little bit of a similar scenario here of, right. of you know, except of course in Houston with with snow, there, there were no um, boundaries in the sense of uh, uh, prop masters and, and all of that. W what's your take on that and the trauma that this has caused? Oh, I think everybody who witnessed it, including of course, Alec Baldwin himself, but everybody on set that day, I think that they all probably need to at least be educated on the fact that they're probably all going to have some level of post-traumatic stress reaction of varying severities and that they should be offered grief counseling because again this is a movie set people tend to think even when they're playing with 
props that seem dangerous at the outset that, well, but this is acting. This is, this is the movie set. This is nothing bad is going to happen. But of course, and sadly, Anna, this is not the first time that a prop gun has taken the life of a person. Yeah. Um, we've seen that historically in other movies and movie productions as well. I was thinking about The Crow and how mm-hmm. that happened on that set as well, among others. And I think that everybody there is going to have some kind of reaction to this, you know, trying to block it out, having distressing recurring nightmares or just thoughts or memories that just pop into their head when they don't want it to. Sometimes people will try to deal with that by doing things like drinking more or doing drugs to try to temporarily block out these memories. And a lot of times people will have difficulty sleeping, concentrating, doing anything else. They'll, they'll blame themselves. Well, what could I have done? Is there something else that I should have been doing? They'll run these scenarios over and over in their heads. Now, when individuals do that, you wouldn't think that at the same time, they'd also be posting on TikTok that's things the that big might difference. look like reenactments yeah. of the trauma mm-hmm. you experience. And I think that that is something that Snow is going to have to contend with and explain as this investigation goes further. Why would Snow do it this way? Is Snow going to argue, well, this is me processing my trauma? But if so, all of her posts seem very gleeful and kind of fun yeah. and lighthearted about this matter. And I think that that's the difference, right? Where Whereas when you look at Alec Baldwin, for example, those are not the flavor of any of his post or public statements. He's no, no, not at all. Seriously, people have seen him cry, you know, outside of the police uh, station. I mean, he looks despondent, which I think yes. is what people expect, expect after a trauma like this. Exactly, exactly. But I just, it was so hard to have this conversation and not include that in the in, yeah. in the broader discussion, um, just because of what's going on. You know, one is an amateur video, one is professional, but it's just like, there are just, yeah. a, just a few, few similarities. So Snow is charged with felony manslaughter. Snow is expected to appear in court this week to finally enter a plea. No one else is charged in this case. Now, just a little bit more about Helen, the victim here. So obviously, Helen's parents are absolutely distraught. They are prominent scientists in Texas, and they don't believe that their daughter would have ever asked to be shot in the head for any kind of role-playing, cosplay, whatever, or whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. So they are especially upset that Snow carried on as if nothing Mm -hmm. happened. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of the continued disrespect for life. That's how I view it. That's mm-hmm. how I view it. Where is, where is the sense of apology? Where is the sense mm-hmm. of I am sorry? So we're not seeing this at all. We're not seeing this, and I find that kind of disturbing. Here's what's interesting, though. Helen's mother has told news organizations that she does not want Snow to go to prison for this. Hmm. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what that's about. And again, this is a quote from a news organization, so it could be incorrect, or she certainly has a right to change her mind. Um, But that's where we are in this case. We'll see what the plea is and where this case goes. It's very interesting, very complicated, with multiple, you know, so, so much going on, virtual, real. It's just sometimes it gets so blurred. Right, it does. And I think that, again... If somebody truly has dissociative identity disorder, uh, there's certain mitigating factors that the court system will consider. Does this person need treatment? Um, 
is that going to be part of their sentencing? Should we consider that? And if this person can be rehabilitated, should they be allowed things like parole, early release, all types of adjustments? But I also, again, just caution about the fact that throughout history, people have malingered, they have pretended to have certain mental health conditions in order to escape prison sentences, in order to escape harsher sentences. It doesn't mean that they're successful, but they try. And I really just hope for the sake of just the mental health community, people who truly suffer from dissociative identity disorder, that if that's truly what's happening here, then I hope Snow gets the help that they they need. But if it's not, then I really hope that they don't end up contributing more to this already highly stigmatized and often misunderstood condition. Because something that's really interesting is that people who truly have DID, they're more likely to be victims of violent crimes than the ones who perpetrate it. And the fact that Snow listed all of the alter egos and kind of made it a really big show online, those are the kind of things that get me thinking, well, did Snow really have this condition or is this just kind of that whole putting on different personas and having fun with that, particularly because a lot of these personas tend to be more evil or angry or violent personas to begin with. So is that more just her or their their thought process of, oh, this is a fun reenactment for me pretending to be villains? I don't know. It's terribly sad. No matter how you look at it, it's terribly, terribly sad. So we will watch this case because it's a fascinating one. Our next case is also out of Texas and very disturbing because it involves a hospital nurse accused of deliberately killing patients in his care. It's, it's just so disturbing. Um, this Texas nurse is accused of killing four patients with something called air injections. 37-year-old William Davis has been found guilty of four counts of capital murder for killing four patients who were all recovering from heart surgery. And, And the manner of death was to inject air into the arteries, which then caused and mimicked uh, symptoms that were kind of stroke-like, but ultimately Mm. led to the to the premature death of these patients. Prosecutors are asking for the death penalty. William Davis is accused of injecting those air bubbles into the arteries of patients during 2017 and 2018. It happened at a hospital in Tyler, Texas, which is about an hour and a half east of Dallas. The four victims, all men, died suffering from something called unexplained neurological problems. It's, you know, it's a catch-all. As we know, mm-hmm. uh, medicine is not a perfect science, even with diagnoses. So that is how it was listed. A pulmonologist testified in this case about how when you inject an air bubble into the arterial brain system, it causes brain injury and then death. And it was through brain scans that they were able to figure out what the injury was. Now, Davis's attorney claims that Davis is the scapegoat here and was charged because Davis happened to be on duty each time. Okay, well, happened to be on duty each time, but true. I mean, there are a lot of nurses rotating. I I get that. Um, Anyway, the prosecutor didn't buy it. The prosecutor said that the nurse actually enjoyed doing this. Judy, what's, what's your thought here? Because this is a very bizarre way to kill someone. Yeah, you know, know, I think that at first glance, Anna, it would cause most people to think, you 
committed to a career of taking care of people, getting them back to health, and you're a serial killer? That doesn't make any sense. But actually, the weird thing and the sad thing is many serial killers adopt roles that get them access and opportunity to kill as many people as possible. And there has been historically a whole slew of doctors and nurses and caregivers who use their specific role where people are off their guard. Sometimes they're not even conscious, right? They're in these weakened states. And that's how they essentially get all of their murders in. They they use that access, that special privilege and their special knowledge of medicine to pull something off like this and essentially have it be somewhat undiscoverable for a long time. And this is why it took a little while for the investigation to unfold. Wait a minute here, there is a pattern, but it wasn't so obvious from the beginning. And that's all due to the fact that only certain individuals in the medical community could really step forward and say, this is what happens when you inject air, right? Mm-hmm. We wouldn't necessarily know that as lay people, right? But if you're in the medical field, that is something that you do find out over time. And let's face it, you know, uh, when you're a heart patient, every every one of these patients had had heart surgery. You know, right. that's there's an inherent risk in that. You're already ill or you wouldn't be having this heart surgery. So sadly, sometimes there are fatalities and people don't make it. So I, I agree that that's another reason why it wouldn't be flagged immediately. It's horrific, it's tragic, but I'm sure every patient and their family was told, you know, this is risky. There's always a risk. There's always a risk with surgery. So this is the other thing that I find interesting, and this is part of the evidence. The Tyler Morning Telegraph newspaper reports that security footage recorded Davis going into one of the victim's hospital rooms before the patient exhibited problems. Mm -hmm. And here's when I think everything starts lining up. The nurse said that he went into the hospital room because the IV pump was going off, that the alarm was sounding. But prosecutors said that hospital records indicated that the alarm did not ring. So there wouldn't have been Mm. any reason to be in the room. So that was the beginning of it. And apparently, here's the other thing that prosecutors made very clear to the jury, that when the patients started failing and dying, Davis, one of the nurses, was not involved in the attempted reviving of the patient. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Davis was there, could have definitely tried or attempted to save this person's life, and eh, just kind of stood by and watched the person suffer until he died. What do you make of that, Judy? Because, you know, I would say if you're trying to cover your tracks, you jump in there and try and save the patient. Right. And I think that unfortunately, with some serial killers, they are so motivated and so essentially um, addicted to that feeling of seeing somebody die and feeling like that's a powerful experience and sadly enjoying seeing someone suffer that he may have not able to help himself and actually think about self-preservation at that moment. It was just essentially getting off on the experience. I don't, I, I, I wish I had a better way to put it, but when you think about these serial killers, when you hear their confessionals, they admit that 
they like seeing that, especially like they like seeing the suffering up close, that it makes them feel powerful, like they're God. Um, and it revives them. This essentially brings them excitement and joy in their life, which is really scary. Oh, that is frightening. Although in this case, uh, the nurse, Davis, has claimed the entire time that he is innocent and his attorney has mm. said that he was a scapegoat for other problems and that it was the hospital really ultimately responsible for the deaths of these patients. Now, one patient after this incident suffered so terribly, suffered for two years before dying. Oh. That is just, her. I mean, it's just horrific. I mean, it's all, no matter what, it's horrific whether you die instantly or you die over a grueling two-year period. It is tragic for the individual and the family and friends of these patients. But gosh, that just sounds horrible. Mm. Now, Davis was initially fired from the hospital in February of 2018. And the reasons given were, quote, falsifying care events and un ethical practice. Mm. So it sounds in this case that the hospital was doing an investigation themselves. And I know that a lot of people sometimes are very critical of hospitals and, and medical institutions because they always feel that in many cases, if there is wrongdoing, the hospitals are always trying to cover up. And in this case, it seems that the hospital was part of the investigation and trying to get this person arrested and convicted and now faces the death penalty or could face the death is eligible for the death penalty. We'll have to wait on sentencing. Right. Right. And I'm glad that the hospital did their own investigation, didn't necessarily wait um, for the legal system to kick in and knew that they had a duty to protect their other patients and, and even their staff. I mean, who knows how far this would have gone if Davis continued to be employed there. He has access to everybody's items, information, personal history, right? Just by virtue of being an employee there. So we don't know how far this could have gone. Um, the four deaths were extremely tragic, but imagine if the hospital didn't make a stance, um, how many more people could be dead today? Mm -hmm. So tragic, so tragic. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime stories you all are talking about on social media and on our website. Owen Michael, our producer, is always monitoring those things. Owen, what's everybody talking about? Hi, Anna. Hi, Dr. Judy. This week, um, do you guys use coupons when you go shopping? Oh, my God. I mm -hmm. love coupons. Are you, oh, you kidding? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I uh, should be a couponer. It's a, it's a good deal, but I'm not. Um, however, I've got a story about a couponer in Virginia. A Virginia woman was just sentenced to more than 12 years in prison and ordered to pay $32 million in restitution in a $32 million coupon fraud. This 41-year-old woman reportedly, uh, she has a, a background in marketing and has strong computer design skills. <laughs> she was able to counterfeit coupons for almost any grocery or drugstore product no and make way. it for whatever value off she wanted. She created coupons for about 13,000 products. Um, she ran a subscription service and sold uh, counterfeit coupons across the country. And uh, one of the things she had, a, she made coupons for $24.99 off of a $25 box of diapers. And it would work, <gasps> according to the FBI. Brilliant. I know diapers are expensive. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a big expense, uh, I can see. Um, FBI said they don't blame the clerks. It's not the clerk's problem. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, the FBI said uh, the woman and her husband, who was also arrested, they used the money to renovate their house, outfit a new kitchen. They installed a swimming pool at their house. 
And apparently during a raid, they found $1 million worth of coupons in the house. So side, uh, side gig for your career right there. Candace L says, uh, just show me how to do it. I know what she did was wrong, but seriously, show me how she did it. <laughs> Miss U says uh, she would have gotten away with it if she hadn't gotten greedy. Should have only used the coupon for the coupons for herself. Um, you know, I don't know. Thirty-two million dollars is, is a pretty strong incentive to commit crimes. But yes, you're right. She did get greedy. Uh, Marie J says it's people like this that ruin the reputation of real couponers. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I know. Right. I'm very because, honest with my couponing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm a CVS shopper. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I love it at Halloween when people dress up as the CV- CVS receipts, you know, they mm-hmm. go on forever and ever and ever. But I wait for my 32% off coupon. You yep. know, occasionally you get that 40% off. And that's when I buy like my ink cartridges. <laughs> I'm just like, I've always got my coupons. It's such a big deal. And when I shop at department stores, the same thing. I'm looking for the sale. It's, it's not, it's like, a, for me, it's a challenge. Of course, I need, I want to save money because why would I want to give any corporation more money (laughs) you know right right (laughs) i know but see we're so honest about it we like exercise patience and self-control and here's this person who created a coupon for a 25 dollar product that would enable people to get 24.99 off essentially paying a penny for a whole box of diapers i mean that's just insane i mean that is greediness it's 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 also uh complete um egotistical behavior because you think that you could get away with something like that and somebody's not going right. to at some point say wait wait a minute right it only cost a penny wait where'd you get this coupon you know so how did they do it i guess because the, many of these coupons you have to scan a barcode or a coupon right. code. I mean, half the time I try to use this at Macy's, I think that the coupon is applied and I, you know, I'm like 12 characters typing it in and it's like, no, this coupon doesn't apply. You know, I, I'm right. just trying to figure out how that I works. I was reading the FBI uh, press release on the entire thing. Surprisingly, they did not go into detail about how uh, to perpetrate this particular fraud. But uh, <laughs> I believe this woman was, you know, Obviously, barcodes have to correspond to something like that. Yeah, she had figured out some sort of um, some sort of thing. Obviously, uh, did something successful here, gaming the system and uh, ruining the, the the coupon subculture. Yeah. Well, you know, mm-hmm. the detectives probably don't also want to release any uh, information so that there wouldn't be any more copycats of this particular mm-hmm. coupon mm-hmm. fraud. Right? People start to figure out how to do it for themselves. It's crazy. Consider that a challenge. There yeah. You go. <laughs> Thanks, Owen. That one was fun. Agree. See you guys next week. Bye. See ya. That's our program for this week. I have to tell you, I think the most revealing thing was finding out that our very own Dr. Judy was, maybe still is, into cosplay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just putting it out there. That's all. (laughs) The secret life of Dr. Judy. My secret life. I know you guys can't see this wall um, on this side of my desk, but I have all kinds of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones figures like all over my bookcase. So yes, the cosplay Dr. Judy is still alive, Anna. She is alive and well. You are a (laughs) goddess. You are a goddess now. Yeah. Yeah. I always had you up here. Now you're like in the stratosphere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Dr. Judy, now that you've revealed this fascinating self of yours, where can people follow you on social media? Well, you won't see any cosplay uh, posts on my social media, but you can follow me for wellness and mental health tips at 
Dr. Judy Ho, D-R-J-U-D-Y-H-O on Instagram, Twitter, and I also have a Facebook page. And you can find out more about my work at drjudyho.com. Thank you. And you can always find me on all social media at Anna G News, Anna with one N. And yeah, I just post mainly goofy stuff, a little bit of crime. And <laughs> I mostly love your about- posts. <laughs> <laughs> and like well, cute posts of your animals. And, you know, it's, it's really fun. I know. I love that video that I posted last week of the hummingbird that flew in my house. Yes. And I actually captured it with my hands. That's amazing. That <laughs> and released amazing. the bird. I know. It's a great video. It's on my Instagram if you get a chance to see it. That sweet little hummingbird is so cute. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> um, you, of course, can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel that we have. We've got like four and a half million subscribers. Be one of them. You can receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.